Welcome to the Road to Wellville podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Terrell. Together, we will explore our own wellness journeys, nurturing body, mind, and spirit. Join me as I talk to top wellness professionals from all over the world with a wide range of backgrounds and specialties. I invite you to discover, discuss, and design your own path on the road to Wellville. Welcome, listener. Today, I am so excited to be chatting with Holly Padov. Holly Padov of Balanced Living is a clinical Ayurvedic specialist, yoga teacher, and Qigong instructor with over 35 years of training and experience in health and wellness. Based on based out of one of my favorite places in the whole world, Arroyo Grande, California, she serves both locals and clients from around the world through her in-person and online offerings. Today, we're going to talk about her personal journey towards becoming the powerhouse behind Balanced Living, as well as talking about Ayurveda, yoga, Qigong, and Yoga Nidra. These subjects are something that I'm very curious about particularly Yoga Nidra. I started dabbling in it a few years back and I really love it as a technique for relaxing and getting more in tune with my inner self. Um, I was just sharing with Holly today actually that I had a rough night last night for many reasons and I just started practicing Yoga Nidra. I I think it's because I knew I was going to be talking to you today too, Holly. I thought, okay, this is going to be a practice that's going to help me and I had a headache from just lack of sleep and when I came out of the Yoga Nidra, the headache was gone. So that was amazing. So I'm super excited to dive in and learn some more about all these things with you, Holly. Wonderful. Well, me too. <laughs> welcome. So I like to start at the beginning of your journey. Um, and I think a lot of people on this healing path um, have an early event or situation that sets them on this path to become a he- to sort of heal yourself and then become a healer. So I was wondering, was there an early event in your life that sparked your interest in holistic health? Uh, yeah, well, really, the way it started is, and I listened to one of your other interviews so I thought it was an interesting coincidence that I had an eating disorder when I was in college and um, you know it was it was quite that it was I was bulimic and you know it was quite bad it really affected my life and um, I felt really lost from and out of control and I didn't know how to handle it and so I started a search like what is going on with me how can I work with this and um, so that's kind of when my focus started to go internal a little, little bit more because I realized something was off. So what was really helpful is somehow the book Handbook to Higher Consciousness by, I think the author is Ken Keyes or Keyes, mm-hmm. ended up in my hands. And it was a real eye-opener for me. You know, how we react to life creates our reality that you could respond rather than react. Mm. I'm not sure if that was in that book or another one, but mm-hmm. that book just opened up a whole world for me. So I started to look at things different and I started to slowly heal from my eating disorder. You know, it probably lasted about five years or so. Mm. And then I started to discover meditation. So I had graduated from college and I wasn't in the holistic health field at all. I was in public relations actually 
I didn't think it was my true calling, but you know, when you're 18, you just grab whatever you feel might be a fit. Yep. And so I, uh, I learned to meditate and then I, um, this is just started to unfold from there. And then I realized I started to study herbs and then I turned my eating disorder into more of a passion for nutrition mm. instead of being obsessed with food in the negative or eating and all that in the negative way i flipped the coin mm. and i became super interested in eating healthy and being well so that's how that all started and then um at about age 30 i went to massage school and in massage school, you don't just study massage, you study all kinds of different modalities. And then again, that door opened a little bit more. And then I started to follow the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. And that encompasses yoga as well. I mean, the asanas, it's all yoga. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's how I started my whole journey. And then the doors opened from there. Yeah. So Yogananda, like the self-realization fellowship. Exactly. Right. I actually um, follow him through the teachings of another uh, organization called Ananda. But yes, it's, okay. it's the same. It's the same Paramahansa Yogananda. Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt very drawn to him. I loved his book, The Autobiography of a Yogi. In fact, I, I can't remember if it was in another podcast or another conversation I was having with people. But actually, I think it was just a conversation with a friend about how he had given that book to his son. His son is now, I think, like 19 or 20. And he just felt like that was a good introduction to um, a different way of thinking. You know, he thought maybe his son was ready for that as kind of an introductory text. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it's funny because I first read that book in my early to mid 20s as well as another one of those books that I don't know where I grabbed it from, but it it was definitely influential as yeah. well. So it, it, that helped me. It helped me, you know, between the meditation and um, starting to do more yoga and um, it helped me to become more self-aware and then that opened the doors. And then I realized my real love and passion is health and wellness. It's wasn't what I studied in college. It was more, so I started to just add more feathers to my cap in that arena. And that's until it, it um, became something that I do full time. And it's actually my whole lifestyle as well. I walk my talk most of the time. Yeah, I know. None of us are perfect, right? right? Yeah. But it's, it's always like a, yeah, like a conscious effort to yeah. do your best. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story about, you know, coming into yoga and meditation. How did that lead you to Ayurveda? And can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I am 59 years old right now. You and look like, amazing. Thank you. Can I just say that? <laughs> it's the Ayurveda. And yeah. <laughs> You're doing well. something right. Yeah, considering I, my kittens woke me up at 5am, I'm doing okay. <laughs> so, um, so Ayurveda. So I, I hit, when I reached 40 uh, or about 39, 40, I was going through a divorce and I'm re happily remarried now. And I felt like, you know, some of those big junctures in your life when you have a big upset, they provide a catalyst for a lot of growth, I find. So that divorce was a, in many ways, the best thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, I was divorced, I was turning 40. 
and looking at, I had a successful PR business and I was teaching, started to teach yoga on the side, was doing massage here and there in the evenings. And I thought, what do I really want to do with my life? You know, I don't want to be doing this business for much longer. I want to be doing something that really feeds my soul. And I think I was reading yoga journal or something and I read an article about Ayurveda and I, it was just like a light bulb went off. This was it because Ayurveda encompasses everything, not just how you eat or not just hey, what's my dosha or your constitution, but it gives you all kinds of tools to live your life in the healthiest, most balanced way possible. So it incorporates massage, incorporates nutrition and yoga and, um, you know, good sleep and uh, everything that I was already, meditation, of course. So everything that I was already interested in and had studied piecemeal. So I decided to make a jump and to study Ayurveda. And I went to a two-year program called the California College of Ayurveda and studied for two years before becoming a clinical Ayurvedic specialist. And that was in 2004 when I graduated. I've always been so drawn to Ayurveda and um, I, well, something I love you kind of touched on too is how it's kind of addresses all the senses, even like smells, right? Like there's certain oils exactly. for balancing things oh, or sounds, like listening to music and sounds and things. And I, I love that it encompasses all of our senses. Exactly. You, you hit it right on the spot. So Ayurveda works with all of our senses because how we, so first off, Ayurveda means the science of life. And some people that don't understand it might think it sounds kind of woo-woo, but it's actually super practical. Mm. And it's based on 5,000 years of, uh, it's been around for 5,000 years. And it's based on real practical scientific uh methodology in many ways mm. but the way we interact with the world as humans is through our senses so ayurveda helps us to bring balance and through what we would call five sense therapy mm. so your sense of taste would be what you bring in so first we address helping people to bring more balance through what they eat so every body is different mm. You're different than me. So I'm not going to say that you should eat the same thing as me. One diet does not fit all. So each person's uh, a different constitution or dosha. And you may have heard the terms vata, pitta, and kapha. Mm. So depending on your dosha, then we address the sense of um, taste or eating through a diet that's particular for you and more balancing for you. And then we address the sense of smell through essential oils. So for example, I put on some scent essential oil this morning, a, a, a blend called Center because I knew I'd be talking to you. So I use them all the time. Um, mm -hmm. Even like if you're using sage, a lot of people use sage. That is working with the sense of smell to help uplift you. Mm -hmm. And the sense of smell is very important. I put on some frankincense today before we started Perfect. talking. Yeah. I like yeah. it because it's kind of grounding, but it's also very kind of like spiritual because every yeah. time before I start an interview, I just ask, you know, 
God, universe, like what do you want to come through for me? So I find that frankincense is good for me in that kind of balancing way. Exactly. I think I used some frankincense. Frankincense is also good for uh, sleep and lots of stuff. So can use it at nighttime. Too. I should have used it last night. Yeah, <laughs> I use them. Next time. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So sense of smell and then um, sight. So even the colors. So I wore red today intentionally because I know it's more of a warmer, fiery color and it would help it's more stimulating color. So to help me to focus more and be more stimulated and focused. I noticed so, that we're both kind of wearing the same color. I, I have more that. colors on, but I noticed that I was like, ooh, we were feeling the same thing this morning. Yeah, I noticed that too. And <laughs> even the, the colors that you paint your house or your room um, has different. So blue, for example, is cooling and calming. This room, you can't really tell, but it's uh, green and that's more of a neutral kind of balancing tone. So colors, so we went through taste, we went through smell, colors, um, touch is balancing. So you, in Ayurveda, for example, we recommend self-massage called Abhyanga. Mm. Lots of juicy oils to help um, work with your nervous system and um, just for overall balance. So Tate, what, what sense am I missing now? <laughs> Um, hearing maybe? Oh, hearing. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's really important. So your sense of sound. So all your senses can either bring in balance or imbalance. So if you're listening to nice, beautiful music, like um, yoga music, let's say like Deva Pramal, if anybody knows who that is, for example, that's really uplifting and it's going to um, bring your spirits uh, more into a sattvic State, meaning more of an optimal, balanced, open state, as opposed to, I don't know, listening to heavy metal or something, not to put that down or anything, but to listen to something that's really jarring and dissonant, mm -hmm. it's more what we would say tamasic in nature. So it's going to more pull, pull you down and dull your senses. So everything that you choose can either... Um, enhance your senses. Ayurveda, we're looking for ways to enhance your senses. And every person is different because everybody is made up differently. So again, the essential oils that work for you and me might be different for somebody else. Yeah, I, I studied nutrition at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and they use the term bio-individuality, which I think is what you're talking about too. You know, everything kind of works differently for different people. And I think that's why it's so important for, it was so important for me to work with a coach and work with coaches to help me see, because I can't just, you know, know that I'm going to read this keto book and know that it's right for me. You know, I like to um, consult with a, you know, a specialist like you who can help me realize what my bio-individual needs are. Right. Because it's so tempting to just jump on the next fad. Right. And, um, and, and keto could be great for one person and not so good next. Ayurveda generally um, encourages people to cook their food. But again, it's different for different body types. Mm -hmm. So just to give you an example, so a vata body type, vata is one of the doshas or constitutions. 
I'm and very vata, vata so tell me about the vata. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I have vata in me as well. So we all have all three doshas, which are vata, pitta, and kapha, but we have ones that are more dominant. So a vata person tends to run uh, cold and dry. They tend to be light. And when we have cold weather, like right now, it's where I am, it's a little chilly. So we say in Ayurveda, the opposite creates balance. Hmm. So a warm, moist diet, especially when vata is out of balance, is going to help to bring it back to homeostasis. So getting back to my point, um, so Ayurveda would recommend warm food, but I had a, a client once that she was vata and she was eating the warm food, doing, and then she heard about somebody leading um, a class, uh, like a six or multi-month class on raw food diet. So it was in the middle of winter and she mm. decided to eat nothing but raw food. Where raw food might be great for more of a kapha type of person in the summer, it's terrible for a vata person in the winter. So she started to feel very bad, very scattered and flighty and cold. So in other words, you don't want to just get excited. Oh, here's a raw food diet. This is going to be great. And I should do this. You need to consider your personal tendencies and working with a coach or Ayurvedic professional or um, somebody else that has experience can help you to tailor that your diet um, towards your individual needs and help you to determine, well, no, the keto or the paleo, that's not for you, but here's one that is, or maybe that is good for you. So, mm -hmm. so it's really helpful because it's so easy for us to get excited about something and it's, it's not a good fit. And then you make your imbalances worse and they go deeper. Right. Yeah. Um, thank you. So wise. Something else that you kind of touched on that I wanted to speak more to was this idea in Ayurveda of seasonal eating. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, the, um, doshas or constitution, which I mentioned, vata, pitta, kapha are based on the elements and the elements we recognize in Ayurveda and yoga world are earth, air, water, fire, and ether. So, um, and each season has more elements that are, uh, particular elements that are more dominant. So for example, in the summertime, the season of the fire element, and think of it, it's, it's hot out. Mm -hmm. If you were to, do you remember I said opposites create balance? Mm. So in the summertime, if you were to eat hot, spicy salsa, and I'm just thinking of examples that are really heating, raw garlic, tequila, <laughs> what else? All, all those you can recognize as pretty heating foods, mm -hmm. uh, hot peppers. Um, that's going to create more heat in your body. You already have heat in your body. Everybody has a little bit more heat in their body in the summer. For some people, depending on the dosha, that's more balancing. For others, not so much. But so if you're eating hot foods in the middle of summer when it's hot, it's getting that fire way too big and it's going to create some imbalances. So if you 
it, with the season in the summer, for example, you would be eating more cooling foods, like whatever's in season. So think mm. of what's in season during the summer. It's a lot of juicy fruits, which are very cooling and carbohydrates that you need more of in the summer because we're more active. Things like cilantro, cucumbers, and more of the greens that are all cooling in nature. Mm -hmm. So, and then for example, in the winter, because the qualities that are more uh, prevalent are cold and dry, then you'd want to eat, like I said earlier, warm and light moist foods. Now we're coming into spring and the qualities are typically, depending on what part of the world you live in, but more um, the elements that are uh, prevalent are water and earth. And what do you get when you combine water and earth? Mud. Mud. Yeah. So, so that tends to be more of, we mirror nature. Ayurveda is very nature-based. So those elements tend to be more prevalent in us as well. So we want to eat foods that are a little bit more cleansing, like what is available in the spring and currently mm -hmm. the season. So more roots and bitter greens, and those foods are, are more cleansing. So you would eliminate things like dairy and mm -hmm. wheat, which are heavier because mud is heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that makes total sense. And we really recognize in Ayurveda uh, three seasons. So there's, and it's not like it goes exactly well. Oh, here we have spring solstice coming up. Now it's spring. It's you know more as the seasons start to change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have spring, which goes from about now. Now being we're talking in March, mm -hmm. till uh, you know maybe end of May, June-ish, and then you have summer which goes all the way until end of September, maybe early October, mm -hmm. where that heat element is more mm -hmm. prevalent. And you have winter that goes from um, maybe like November-ish, like early November, all the way until February, mm -hmm. more or less, depending on what part of the world you live in. So yeah. you wanna eat with the season, so the opposite creates balance. And, and um, something else that we've talked about in this podcast, I spoke with a holistic pharmacist and some other um, coaches, and we talk about um, when you're trying to eat with the seasons, um, the value of a farmer's market. And I know where you are, mm -hmm. you have some killer farmer's markets. So that's kind of a nice way to, to be eating with the seasons. If you're shopping at the farmer's market and you're seeing what's there being offered, right? And then trying to make recipes at home that are um, you know seasonal. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I recommend to all my clients. And I was just at my farmer's market yesterday morning. Mm. So, you know, you can't go wrong if you're, especially if you're purchasing from local farmers versus somebody that drove 300 miles. But even that is better than just going to the grocery store. So, you know that you're getting local produce. It's what's grown where you live. So it's going to be balancing for you. So that is one of the first steps versus trying to figure out what do I eat for my particular dosha, mm -hmm. which is an Ayurvedic practitioner I help my clients with. Step number one is eat with the season. How do you do that? Go to your farmer's market. Mm -hmm. How do you want to eat organic whenever possible, um, as fresh as possible, more whole foods. Mm -hmm. And 
shopping at the market and eating your veggies. And right now, when I went to the market yesterday, I there were lots of beets out there, you know, broccoli, and um, so you you get what grows locally versus buying um, something at the grocery store that was shipped in from, I don't know, Chile or Mexico, yeah, exactly. yeah. because it's a different season there, different clients, so it's not going to be balancing. Yeah. It would be balancing for them, right? Because, well, not so much Mexico, but if you're in Chile, yeah. then you're in a different season, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like, yeah. you want to just, if you can't find a veggie anywhere, it's because it's, you know, at the market, at the farmer's market, it's because it's not in season. So just eat right. what you can find there. Get find creative. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's um, lots of Ayurvedic cookbooks out there as well. Mm -hmm. And you touched on about cooking too. Something else I wanted to touch on that was eye-opening for me. I remember when I was studying yoga, I think this was an Ayurvedic tenet. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but like the like you said, the best food is what you cook for yourself. The second best was like what your mother cooks for you or something like that, you know, rather wow. than like eating out. Of course, I love, I enjoy eating out and I enjoy other, you know, eating other people's food. But I definitely think over this past year or two, I've been doing a lot more cooking for myself and for my family. And I've really enjoyed it, gotten creative and sort of built my confidence about what I can do at home. Right. Right. And you can. Yeah. So it's best if you can have home cooked meals, whether it's somebody in your family cooking it for you or you're cooking it because you know what you're putting in there and you want to say um, you want to cook your food with love because if you're one of the reasons with the restaurant first off you don't know unless you're really are picky about your restaurants like I am and you mm -hmm. know that they cook with good healthy oils and uh, good uh, fresh veggies but you just don't know that and so you don't know the attitude of the chef. What if he's mm -hmm. in a bad mood? Mm -hmm. So whatever energy you are feeling, you're putting that into your food. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling stressed and rushed and cooking, you're actually putting that into your food. So you want to cook in a relaxed manner and um, you know, feel joyful when you're cooking. And you can make it simple. I know a lot of people are intimidated by cooking and if you told me 40, 30 years ago that I would be like really into cooking and people would ask me for my recipes and ask me to teach cooking, which I get all the time, I would be like shocked. So I was not into cooking when I was younger. But over the years, it becomes so rewarding because you feel better and um, you can be creative with it, like you mm -hmm. said, but you can also you can keep it simple. Mm -hmm. You don't have to um, uh, subscribe to Bon Appetit, for example. And mm -hmm. those recipes are kind of complex and they overwhelm me too. But I mostly keep it simple. I maybe mm -hmm. steam some veggies or stir fry them lightly and ghee, which is clarified butter, which we consider a very healthy food in Ayurveda. Uh, and Ayurveda is not necessarily vegetarian either. So most people think, oh, that means, again, as I said before, every body is different. Mm -hmm. Some people, it would be better for them, yes, to eat vegetarian. Other people, like vadas that are out of balance, some meat, not a lot, but some meat is really helpful. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're a meat eater, 
broiling a chicken breast and stir frying some veggies. Very easy to do. And you have a simple meal. Mm -hmm. And very fresh. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, and very fresh. Well, I know you've been talking about, you know, how you help your clients. And I really appreciate the practical takeaways you've given us about cooking and farmer's market and everything so far um, and a little introduction to Ayurveda for our listeners who don't know much about it yet. Um, so I was wondering if you had a story or stories about clients that you've worked with that have particularly inspired you? Well, you know, I was thinking about that. Um, I have a lot of clients that I really have a lot of respect for because, you know, Ayurveda, the path of Ayurveda it's super helpful and it's going to bring you balance. But it's not always easy for everybody because it's asking you to change sometimes lifelong habits. And I mean, the, the tools that Ayurveda gives you are very practical actually. But again, if you habitually drink three cups of coffee in the morning, Ayurveda is not about coffee at all. Mm -hmm. And it might be a really hard habit to break, for example. So the clients that I really admire and just give me a lot of satisfaction to work with are the ones who actually like, take it seriously and really work to follow those steps. I will see some people that they'll come in and they find out what their dosha is and they're excited, but they just can't seem to make that leap into making lifestyle changes. Mm. Because Ayurveda does, we do work with herbs quite a bit, but it's mm. not just by here's your herb, take your ashwagandha or whatever, and mm. it's all good. It's about the herbs are an adjunct to, you need to shift this around. You need to sleep at these times or shift your diet or et cetera. So I think the clients that have taken it seriously and really work to, follow the leads I give them, the information that I give them, and uh, they see a lot of changes. And then when they are healing and feeling better, it is so satisfying to me to see that. And mm. so those are some of my favorite clients. So one of the clients I worked with, she had candida and it was had been pretty bad for a long time. And we had to really work with their diet and with herbs and um, she really followed it and it changed everything for her. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I've seen clients and had friends who that was such a silent issue that I think people didn't even know was out there or causing problems. Um, yeah. The candida. And I know that can take a big, I remember, um, uh, you know, just kind of protocols like no sugar, no fruit for a certain amount of time. It could be very uh, yeah. hard, but you know, but then after a while you reintroduce it or whatever, you know, but um, yeah, it's yeah, definitely exactly. a dedication, you know, to, but then I, so I tell this story, it's in my podcast on the first, um, the first episode about when I saw this friend of mine, when I kind of first started to see um, a coach and, um, 
and he was a little bit of everything. <laughs> he wasn't necessarily Ayurveda, but he called himself a chiologist. And he kind of talked about this whole idea of the candida and, you know, this diet and everything. And from the time I saw her from, you know, within a couple weeks, I just, she was like a different person. She was glowing. She was, yeah. I thought she was on some kind of medication. <laughs> she was so happy and full of joy. And so um, that's what I think really triggered me to, to, to follow the path or at least see the person because it was like, wow, what a, you know, I know it was hard for her to make those changes at first, but I mean, what a difference in her life. And I know that she's, you know, kept that up um, just like, you know, I have in my clients and things, you know, that are being successful. It's like, we keep mm -hmm. it up and wow, it's so worth it in the end, you know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, just, it's good to get a little bit of success right away because then it motivates you to, to keep it up. But with Ayurveda, like when I see clients, you know, we work with them one step at a time. So there's mm -hmm. a lot, as we talked about earlier, you work with all the five senses, but not all at once. Mm -hmm. That's overwhelming. And nobody uh, wants to make all these changes at once. I mean, most people get overwhelmed. So we just start in small baby steps. Maybe, mm -hmm. okay, this week you're going to shop at the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. uh, this week, maybe you'll stop eating after, no, no snacks after dinner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just keep adding until, okay, you've got that mastered. Let's go on to the next step so yeah. that it's viable and doable. So one little step at a time. Yeah. I know research definitely shows that like change is much more um, sustainable when you take it in those small chunks. Yeah. Um, so kind of tied in with the Ayurveda and, the, and your offerings. Can you tell us a little bit about Qigong? What is it and how has it had a positive <laughs> impact on your life? Yeah, happy to. So about um, like eight, nine years, nine, maybe 10 years ago now, I discovered Qigong. And I initially wasn't that interested in learning it because I already had my yoga practice and everything else. But I actually had a horse trainer. So I have a horse and I ride. And um, he kept talking about Qigong and about, you know, he would use, uh, like metaphors with Qigong when I was writing. And then he said that there was a, a well-known teacher coming to my area to offer a weekend workshop. And I wasn't interested, wasn't interested. But then all of a sudden I shifted, I said, okay, I'm gonna go. Mm. And that weekend really changed my life. It was interesting because I was very tired that weekend. I, I for whatever reason, wasn't sleeping well, but just doing these movements energized me in a way that yoga didn't. So let me back up for a second. Qi means energy and gong means working with it. So it's working with energy. And it's actually just very simple movements, mostly done standing. There's a component where you might be um, sitting uh, that are really accessible to most anyone. So somebody who doesn't feel like, oh, yoga intimidates them or they, might feel stiffer or dealing with the injuries. The Qigong is doable mm. in the most part. And it's really easy to modify. And it really gets that life force energy, which we call prana in yoga. It really taps into it very quickly. So you can feel that and you can feel very vibrant very quickly from it. it basically, it works very quickly to reduce stress and to increase energy. Mm. 
yeah, it, it taps you right into what I like to call that source energy within mm. simple movements. So that's why I love it. And then um, I decided after taking that weekend workshop to do um, a teacher's training to get certified. So I did that and I became a certified Qigong instructor like eight years ago, I think. And so I teach a yoga class now where it's kind of a yoga Qigong combination mm. class. That's really fun. Yeah. And then I also teach Qigong. So I was teaching more classes currently with the time of COVID. I, I'm just teaching two a week right now. But yeah. I also teach online on Zoom on occasions. So. Oh my gosh. I need to keep up with your mailing list on that because I would love to take that online yeah. Yeah. the next time you teach it. Did that make sense? Did I explain it in a way mm -hmm. that you Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, I have a question about it though. What is the difference between Qigong and Tai Chi? Okay. So, well, they're both originate in China. Let me back up and just say, so Qigong originates in China and it's based on Taoist philosophy, which is in some ways similar to yoga in that, I mean, to Ayurveda yoga, that nature-based mm. and we honor all the elements in nature and recognize that what is in nature is also within us. That's the same thing with Qigong. So we're working with those elements. Now Qigong has been around for thousands of years and Tai Chi actually developed from Qigong. Okay. So I like to call Qigong in my mind, it kind of feels like a cross between Tai Chi and yoga. Mm -hmm. So the Tai Chi movements, incorporate you'll notice a lot of them are very similar or the same as some of the movements that you do in qigong mm. but with qigong you can mix and match you can put a practice together just like you would do with yoga with a number of different types of movements to um, work with whatever is up for you for example if you are working with stiff joints you could do a practice that works a movement that that targets stiff joints or if you're dealing with anxiety, mm. you can put a practice together with movements that help to alleviate anxiety. Mm. Where Tai Chi is more of a choreographed. So you have a set of movements that you do, but you learn these movements over a set period of time and you always follow them in mm. this. That's so a simple Maybe a parallel to like Ashtanga yoga? Like how Ashtanga Yoga has the primary series. It's like, it's like always the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example versus, you know, doing a more eclectic practice. Mm -hmm. You know, in my yoga teachings, I'm also very eclectic where, you know, you might do some yin and some restorative and then a little mm -hmm. bit more vinyasa and mix it mm -hmm. all in depending on what you're looking for. So that's why I love the Qigong because you can just change it up. And I did actually do a little bit of Tai Chi way back, but I, I liked it, but the Qigong just really, it shifts your energy quicker. You don't have to become an expert at it to, mm. you can, I have beginners, people will come to one class and experience a tremendous shift mm. and then become Qigong addicts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it sounds addicting. I mean, yeah. Now, I, I wanted to also say, so it works with the same principles as traditional Chinese medicine, uh, acupuncture, for example. Mm, okay. So you're working with the meridians or the lines of energy in your body. 
So you're breaking up stagnant chi and opening it up so that energy can flow. Mm. Oh, great. Thank you for explaining that so well. Um, mm -hmm. I had so many questions and I feel like I understand it a lot better now. Um, okay. So, uh, so I guess the last thing I'll ask was the one I was mentioning at the beginning about yoga nidra. So I'm not an expert. Oh, yeah. So I was hoping maybe you could share with my listener who doesn't know about it or is not familiar. What exactly is yoga nidra and how has it positively impacted you and your clients? Well, yoga nidra, uh, loosely defined would be the yoga of sleep. And the way I discovered it is, um, one of my personal challenges is occasional insomnia. And so I discovered Yoga Nidra's, I don't know, probably a dozen or so years ago. It's, as you know, it's a deeply guided meditation. And this particular type of guided meditation helps you to, you, you want to do it when you're actually awake. So it, it's not to put you to sleep is to put you into a state of a very relaxed state, but deeply aware at the same time. So you work with different parts of the body and the breath and visualization to bring an altered state to your mind. So it's almost like you're in a meditative state, but you're fully awake and fully aware. And they say that a 45 minute session of yoga nidra is equivalent to like two and a half hours of sleep. So if you're stressed or you're experiencing occasional bouts of insomnia to do a yoga nidra, whether if you do it in the middle of the night or as a break in your day will help to refresh you. And on a deeper level, when you're doing that and you're coming into such a deep relaxed and receptive state, receptive to that source energy, you are promoting healing in your body. So it helps to heal whatever, you know, imbalances you may have going on, even deeper ones as well. I just know when I do yoga nidra, like for example, you said you did it today, I feel like so refreshed afterwards, mm -hmm. like I just did get a little bit of sleep, but it's doing more than that. It's bringing some deep healing mm -hmm. to your body. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I guess it was the right thing for me. It was what I thought to do um, just kind of intuitively today. And yeah, like I said, I don't have my headache anymore and I didn't sleep a lot last night, but I do feel great right now. So I think it really helped me. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, there's lots of I like to do, I do yoga nidra for groups or for individuals, but there's lots of apps out there right now, mm -hmm. um, Insight Timer and all that have guided yoga nidras. Mm -hmm. Some of them are excellent. Some of them, you know, they're, they're okay, but you want to look for one that isn't distracting with lots of background music or whatnot, mm. something that really allows you just to tap deeply in and, and try and stay awake while you're doing it. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's key. Like the consciousness, I guess, element, right? Of still being awake. Um, right, because it helps you to drop into that super consciousness mm -hmm. versus your everyday da-da-da-da-da. It's like a little vacation for your mind mm -hmm. and yeah. your body. 
Nice. Yeah. I think we could all use a vacation right about now, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you shared so many wonderful takeaways for our listeners. I was wondering if you had any extra practical takeaways that you wanted to add before we say goodbye. Yeah, um, I think, well, we touched on a lot of them, but we talked about eating fresh whole foods. And another thing is to have uh, regular meal times. Mm. And because the, the body likes routine, the mind might not like it, but the body likes it. So regular meal times, think about having lunch be your largest meal of the day. It's counter in the West, People find that counterintuitive, but it's actually the most balancing way to eat is to have lunch be your larger meal and to try and finish dinner by sunset, not snacking. So those are big anchors in life. Going to bed around 10-ish, waking up at six. So in Ayurveda, we follow the natural rhythms, the circadian rhythms and so, because as I said, we are one with nature. We're made up of the same thing. So we want to follow those rhythms of nature that's going to bring us the most balance. So eating regular times, getting good sleep, and uh, let's see what else. Getting some fresh air, trying to meditate, trying to learn some form of meditation to bring that into your life each day. Getting exercise. Those are some basic tools. And just like you said before, shopping at the farmer's market. Yeah. Um, I, I've spoken on this podcast too about how, um, I guess it's, it was the idea of intermittent fasting to me, but it's it doesn't really seem like it's that, like the same thing. I mean, I guess it is, but like trying to eat my dinner by like six o'clock, like you said, I go to bed at 10, I wake up at six and right. then maybe I don't, the one big change was not eating like right when I wake up, waiting until about 10 o'clock to have like a snack or whatever. But I, I've really seen changes in my body since I've been doing that. And I think trying to, it was this idea of intermittent fasting, but it really did is it just put me on more of a routine, like what you're talking about, right. so that my body knew what to expect when. And I think it, I was giving myself a little bit more of a rest between, like you said, not snacking after dinner, like yeah. giving my, my hormones and my body a rest from like the insulin spikes and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of hormonal issues that I've had resolved since I've been doing that over the past no, about three helpful. months. Yeah. yeah. So that's well, you really think of it. Think of the word breakfast, break fast. Mm -hmm. So Ayurveda, you know, we say to finish, like you said, eating around six, seven o'clock. And then if you kitchen is then closed and you don't eat again until seven, eight, I mean, and you're doing more of the true fasting if you're mm -hmm. waiting until 10, but even waiting till like eight, let's say you finish eating at 6.30 and then having your breakfast at 7.30 the next morning, that's 13 hours right mm -hmm. there. And that gives your body a chance to do all the functions it needs to do at night. So you get a little mini fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some doshas do better with longer fasts, some mm -hmm. short. Yeah, like you said, bio-individuality. Great. Exactly. Um, so Holly, it's been such a treat chatting with you. Um, I would love to share with my listeners how they could find you and what you're up to. Okay, great. Well, I have a website. It's uh, balancedlivingayurveda.com. And it has uh, information about everything I do. And email is holly at balancedlivingayurveda.com. 
So that's how you can find me. And I have my phone numbers listed on website, et cetera, as well. And also, so as I mentioned, I do Ayurvedic consults and I do them in person and of course on Zoom. And on the website, it's all the details of my consults on the website. And the Qigong and yoga are mostly live, but on occasion I do them on Zoom as well as maybe more extended Ayurvedic workshops. And I'm really excited to share with your listeners that I have a retreat that I'm co-leading to Panama in December. And my fingers are crossed that we can all travel in December. And it's going to be a yoga, Qigong, and Ayurveda retreat. It's to a beautiful tropical location in a semi-rural beach in Panama. And it's a luxury resort, but it's really tiny. So we'll have it to ourselves. And they cook gourmet meals for us. Um, you know, healthy, delicious, fresh, local for all three meals. And then we'll be doing lots of yoga, qigong, and other discoveries. So if you're interested in that, I also have a tab with information on my website with those retreats. Excellent. I did a little investigating before the podcast and I saw the pictures and and the things you've done in the past and it looks really exciting. So the, the pictures are beautiful. Yeah, and I'm collating it with a, a woman, uh, a friend of mine who owns a yoga studio. Her name is uh, Annie Stegards, and she's an amazing person and a great teacher as well. So it's nice when there's two of us because we can really give you lots of attention. Mm-hmm. Killer team. Awesome. And I'll also mm-hmm. link your um, social media in the show notes too. Um, sure. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Holly, for chatting yeah, with us today. So fun to chat with you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I always say to my my um, guests, until next time, I look forward to the next time we get to chat. Wonderful. Me too. Thank you so much for joining us today. To learn more about today's guest and a wide range of other wellness professionals, please visit our global wellness community at wellville.com. W-E-L-V-I-L.com. I look forward to meeting you next time on the road to Wellville.